Mark chapter 14 this morning, and I want to begin with the event that precedes the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which of course is where we draw the name of Palm Sunday, because Jesus entered Jerusalem on the foal of an ass whereon never man sat on Sunday, and uh, they hailed him as king. But before that, the evening before that, there was something that happened. In Mark chapter 14, the Bible says in verse number 1, After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. And they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. I, I just, you know, I read that and I just, I, I chuckle. It's tragic, but I just think, isn't that just like this old evil world? They're conspiring to murder Jesus, but they're afraid to do it on the feast day for what people might think about them, right? And can you see the extreme hypocrisy in the spiritual leaders of the day? But... That's how we begin this passage, and then it goes to something rather beautiful. It says, And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could, she has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Father God, help us today to understand the truth of thy word. Spirit of the living God, descend in our hearts and Convict us where conviction is needed, and Lord, comfort us where comfort is needed. May we all sense the presence of the living God in this place. Fill me, I pray, with thy spirit. Lord, if there's someone that does not know thee as Savior, may today be the day where they experience the joy of sins forgiven. For this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. You know, there are so many things about the triumphal entry of Christ that we can draw from and learn from. But there are many things that we must know about the background of all that was taking place to help us have a greater confidence in what God said. Indeed, all of the events surrounding the life of our Savior were those things that were foretold by the prophets, in some cases thousands of years prior to His advent. 
Indeed, the, the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, being hailed as king and sitting on the foal of an ass was something that 500 years prior, the prophet Zechariah had prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9. And so we find that we see that this is Jesus coming into Jerusalem in royal fashion and with royal fanfare. And really, I, I think that it caused the, the multitudes to gather and it really began to catalyze the events that would result in the death of our Savior because it caused the rulers of the Jews to finally stop talking and begin moving to put Jesus to death. I think that these events are of vital importance as they reveal not only the purpose of God for the coming of Jesus, but it revealed within the hearts of men what their motivations and intentions really were. This is a critical part of the narrative that will ultimately lead Jesus onward to Golgotha. And then, of course, to the triumphant empty tomb. And so I think there are things within this story that we can draw. And I, I just want to say that as we go throughout this, we're going to find a common thread about the heart of man. And that is that it is often fickle. Right? Now, how many of you in this room... Uh, have ever been a little fickle in your relationships? How many have ever been that way? Okay, some, almost everybody's hand went up. What kind of friends are you? You know, I mean, <laughs> and uh, you know, how many of you have ever had somebody a little fickle towards you? You know, and grandparents, you you know, little kids and parents, little kids, they can just one minute be telling you how much they love you, and about 30 minutes later, they can stomp their foot and say, you're not my friend anymore, right? Because uh, you didn't give them a popsicle, or you made them wait 30 minutes uh, before going in swimming after they had lunch. And, and we all know that's the 13th commandment, right? At least my, that's what my mom told me when I wanted to go in swimming. You know, the Bible says you have to wait 30 minutes before you go in. <laughs> I always thought the 11th commandment was thou shalt not open thy presence on Christmas Eve because my dad just said that's, that's the law of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be changed. But, uh, but the fact is that, look, your, your dad said that to you too? <laughs> I, I see somebody saying, oh, yeah, that's what was at our house. It was considered sacrilege to open a present on Christmas Eve even though we had all been going through the closets and looking under the beds and we knew what we were getting anyhow. But, uh, but the fact is that, that, look, mankind is pretty fickle here. There are people that were followers of Jesus that hung with Him through thick and thin, and when someone lavished their love on Jesus, they were really critical of it. I'm like, come on, either you love Him or you don't. Either you're grateful that someone's loving on Jesus and showing their gratitude, or you're not, which is it, Right? And so, the event that preceded the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem was held the evening prior at the house of Simon the leper in the town of Bethany, which was not very far away, less than an hour's walk into Jerusalem, near the, the town of Bethphage, or Bethphagi, as some people pronounce it. And the fact is that 
Simon the leper had been healed of his leprosy by the Lord Jesus. And Lazarus had been raised from the dead by Jesus not many days prior. And together with Martha and with Mary, they held a dinner in the honor of Jesus to show their gratitude, Simon the leper, for the healing that was his and the life that was was ebbing away now restored and for Lazarus for the life that he had lost that now had come back to him. The fact is that uh, they wanted to do something to honor the one that had given them everything that they counted valuable. And so they gathered together and what we understand is that a great number of people came to observe this supper because Lazarus was there and there were many that wanted to see the evidence of the miracle working power of Jesus. And so they gathered there so that they could hear and see Jesus in the hope that perhaps he would do something marvelous and maybe even on the line of miraculous there and so that they could see the proof of what they had heard. Of course, they knew that Simon also was a leper. Doubtless there was a time where he had to declare himself to be unclean. And so there, there were many that would have known that Simon, and, and by the way, this is not Simon Peter, and this is not Simon the Pharisee, it's another Simon. It's a very common name in Jewish culture in that day. Much like years ago, John would have been a very common name to give to a, to a person in our culture, a man in our culture. And, and so it's not uncommon that there are multiple Simons or multiple Peters or multiple Judes and James that we read of in the New Testament. And so this particular man would have been widely known as someone who had leprosy and now has been healed. And no doubt he presented himself for that ceremonial, ceremonial cleansing. And the priest had declared him to be ceremonial clean and he, ceremonially clean. And now he was not only ceremonially, but he was every whit whole. As this time was convened, we know from reading in the three gospel narratives of this event that Martha now served with the joy of the Lord in her heart. And, and Mary brought an alabaster box. Alabaster was a semi-precious stone, almost like marble or something of the sort. And they had used it to fashion a receptacle, perhaps a vial of some sort, maybe what we might consider like a perfume bottle uh, carved out of that alabaster and the and the top would have been sealed on top of it because its contents were so valuable that they didn't want to risk losing even one drop if gas gets any more expensive <laughs> that's how we're going to feel about it at the tank we don't even want one drop to fall on the ground next to the pump we want to get every drop in that tank right and so it would have been sealed. The contents of that alabaster box represented a life savings for her. Indeed, Judas, who was the treasurer of the disciples, indicated that they could have easily taken the contents of that alabaster box and it could have been sold for 300 pennyworth, which was in their day a year's wages. For a lady the age that Mary would have been, that represented her entire life savings. 
Now, the only reason that I could imagine that she would have purchased that spikenar, that precious ointment, there are just really two that I could think of. And, and, and that is that she purchased that so that when she deceased, that her loved ones would not have to go to the expense of, of the spice or the ointment with which to prepare her body to the burying. So she would have perhaps purchased that for her own use. Maybe she would have purchased it for use with a loved one, but then if that were the case, why did she not use it for Lazarus' burial? They were not wealthy people. It could have been that someone else came forward and and provided something for Lazarus' burial. But for whatever the reason that she initially purchased that for, the use that night was not at all what she had in mind when she purchased it. You see, Jesus changes everything. All of a sudden, the values that we have held to are challenged, and the things that we held dear seem to be in a different light because Jesus came to the house. And so what we find is that she offered this to the Lord, and the Bible tells us not only here but in Matthew and John that she broke that box and she lavished its contents upon Jesus. She didn't parse it out. She didn't take a little bit of time, put a little dab here, a little dab there. No, she broke it so she could hold nothing back. And she lavished it upon Jesus. And if you read it in all three of the gospel records, you'll discover that not only did she anoint his head against the day of his burial, but she anointed his body and his feet. And the Bible indicates to us that she wiped his feet with the hairs of her head. How many of you recall that? She wiped his feet with the hairs of her head. Now that happened in another place where a woman who had been possessed of devils did that, but now again we find that same thing happening. And that is very consequential as we put that in the context of the, of the record of Scripture because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read that a woman's hair is her crown of glory. It was a crown of glory for a woman to have a, a, a head of hair. And so in that culture, it was very important to maintain that hair. Indeed, when you look at the culture of the day and you go to places like Corinth, women who had no hair were the temple prostitutes. And so they would shave their heads as an outward indication that, that they were worshipers of the goddess Diana or of Aphrodite, and, uh, which were the goddesses of fertility. And that was how uh, they presented themselves in the temple in Corinth, women with shaven heads. But here, the Bible indicates in the book of Corinthians, of all books, that a woman's hair is a crown of glory. You know what she did? She laid aside any glory that she might have desired for herself and lavished it all upon Jesus. She took all that she had materially and said, Lord, I am sacrificing that to you. And you know what followed that? A great deal of criticism by Jesus' disciples. 
Why was this waste made? We could have spent all this money on supporting missionaries, or we could have filled up the buses with gas, or we could have done something for the kids, or we could have done something at the church, or given to the poor. We could have given out bottled bottle water to the homeless. Why did we do this? And you know, the Lord turned around and told them, you leave her alone. The Lord understood what she was doing. For three years, the Lord had been going about telling everyone that he was going to die and that he would be buried. Then, and then after three days, he would rise again. At first, he, he spoke in metaphoric terms. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will rebuild it. And this, he spake concerning what death he should die and his resurrection. But the reality was that they were hearing, but they were not listening with their hearts. They weren't catching it. And of all the many thousands of people that heard Jesus during his ministry, there was just one that took it into her heart, and that was Mary of Bethany. Because Jesus told his disciples, against the day of my bearing has she done this. She has come to prepare my body. So we notice, first of all, in this message titled, The Triumphant King, The Preparation, that there was a preparation that was made. And by the way, I'll tell you what, uh, if you want the uh, the outlines, you can... You can go to the website or you can use the QR codes that are around the property on your phone. And if you don't know how to do that, ask Brother Daniel. He'll show you how to do it. It's, it's real simple. Um, I don't know how yet, but he does. Listen. They criticized Mary for that. Now, listen. I never want to be the guy to throw cold water on anybody's zeal. How about you? I never want to be the one to try to sit in the seat of judgment over what somebody else should have done with their resources or their worship. But then I begin to think on this and I realize that, you know what, listen, she did something so over the top that people called it wasteful. But Jesus said, this is going to be spoken of as a memorial for her forever because it was such a wonderful and beautiful work of love lavished upon Jesus that it would be spoken of as a memorial for her. So when you look at it from heaven's perspective, did, they con did God consider that to be a waste? No, it was one of the most beautiful acts of worship that, they had, that the Lord had ever had lavished upon him during his ministry or his life for that matter. When was the last time you did so, something for Jesus that was so over the top that you got criticized for it? When was the last time you so lavished love on Jesus that everybody that heard about it said that was foolish? Would to God someday I would just take of my time or my resources and so lavish them on Jesus that people would say, oh, you know, that's such a waste of time or that's such a waste of resources or you should have done this or should have done that. Hey, listen, it's none of your business. If God puts it in my heart to lavish something on Jesus, what concern is it of yours? But God help me to so love Him that I might do something so over the top that the natural man might think it was foolish. That the carnally minded Christian man might think it was foolish to give a gift like that. To start coming up with a thousand things that it could have been used to do. And by the way, I'm going to tell you something. 
God revealed the heart of Judas because he realized that he wasn't really wanting to help the poor with 300 penny worth. What he really wanted was to steal the money. Do you understand? Most of the time when people say, well, why are we doing this? Or why are we going to put carpet on the floor? We could, we could help a lot of homeless people with that. You know what? Look, if you're so concerned and burdened about the homeless, we'll set up a canopy out here in the parking lot on a 120 degree day and you can sit out there all day and feed them water. Well, you know, you see the thing. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's not that you have such a deep-seated love and heart for homeless people. It's just that you want to be the one to call the shots and determine what is considered to be an act of unmitigated love and worship on Jesus. And what's not? Well, it's not your business. And what God saw there was a beautiful act of love and worship. God help us all. To have a moment in our life where what we do for Jesus is so over the top that it might invite criticism. I remember talking to Pastor Eckleberry years ago and we were talking about law and grace and he mentioned to me that he had a, an aged pastor tell him one time that if you're never accused of being an antinomianist, you probably are not properly teaching and preaching the grace of God. Antinomianist rejects law out of hand. No law. Antinomianist. Uh, nomian is, is, is law. So look, if you're not accused of that, and, and look, if you're never accused of being foolish in your worship to the Lord, I wonder if we're absolutely lavishing love on Jesus. But what happened there happened with a view of everything that would happen over the next seven days. Over the next seven days, Mary knew. She listened. She got it. The disciples were still quibbling about who would be the greatest in the kingdom as Jesus was experiencing His passion. His folks were conspiring to kill Him. They were judging the acts of love of other people when they were loveless in their own hearts. We notice, secondly, the prophecy. And if you would, turn to the book of Luke as we look at a more expanded version of the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 19, we see the story. And beginning in verse number 28, the Bible says, And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go ye into the village over against you, and the which at your entering you shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never a man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. If any man ask you, Why do ye loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And when they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them, and as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name 
of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Folks, let me just say something to you. You know, I'm afraid that there are a few too many rocks around this place that are having to get warmed up because God's people uh, refuse to get their praise on. You, you understand? We just keep, hold our peace when we need to be rejoicing in the Lord. Amen? And, and so, listen, we see that this was a prophecy fulfilled in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse number 9. You'll notice that the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem upon a colt was foretold hundreds of years before the Messiah would come. It, it was said in, in Mark and in the Gospel of John that, uh, and really we, we, we discover this in all four of the Gospels, all four of the Gospels, that it was the foal of an ass whereupon never a man sat. Now, the fulfillment of the foal of an ass was especially important prophetically. And it teaches us personally that our will ought to be yielded to our Creator. Now, I want to ask you, how many of you have ever gone horseback riding? Let me see your hand. You've gone horseback riding? Okay, how many of you have never had the opportunity to horseback ride? I just one or two, okay, city people, I take it. And, uh, but uh, it, anyway, it, maybe you went to the circus one time and they led you around in a circle. Um, uh, how many of you have ever ridden a donkey before? Donkey, anybody? Okay. Now, how many, if you go to the farm or the ranch and you're going to do some riding, you would like to choose the animal that's never been ridden? How many of you like that animal? Let me see your hand up. Hand up. Raise it up big and high. Raise it up big and high. How many of you think you would not like to try to ride the animal that had never been ridden? Okay, my hand is up. That happened to me one time. It's a whole other story. And a guy named D.W. in a small town in Texas out in the wilderness, we went for a ride and I happened to get the one animal that had never been ridden. <laughs> and I got to tell you something. I wound up flat on my back in a bumblebee's nest in a field and... Uh, and in the hospital that night. And uh, so I decided right then and there, I'm done riding animals that had never been ridden. All right? Can I get a witness? All right, there's some of you. I mean, you're from, from rural Kansas. You've, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? And so listen. Don't you think it a little strange that the Lord said, I want you to go find a foal of a donkey, a little colt, Okay? Little one, where mama's still right next to this colt. And I want you to bring that colt to me. And I want you to make sure nobody's ever ridden it before. Now, to me, that's just kind of out there, right? That animal was born for a singular purpose. It wasn't for anyone else's purpose but God's. Let me just say this to you. 
we're not animals because we're formed in the image of God. I, I, I don't care what, what the origin of the species may tell you. I don't care what you learn in biology. You're not a part of the animal kingdom, right? Because you're formed in the image of God. Nothing else is. Not cats, not dogs, not anything else, okay? I'm just saying. Only humans are formed in the image of God, okay? But we need to recognize something here. And that is that the Lord said, I want you to get this colt. No one should have sat on this colt ever. I'll be the first one. And every indication is first and only. That animal had one purpose in life. And that was to bear the King of Kings into the city of Jerusalem. Let me say this to you, my friends. That you and I were created with a singular life purpose. And that is that we should carry the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to a gainsaying world, to a fickle world, to a semi-religious world that needs a Savior. And sometimes we don't submit ourselves to that. Now, pair that together with this. That animal had not yet been broken by man. How do we deal with horses when, when we put them into a string of horses that we want to be workhorses, quarter horses to help on a ranch or a farm? Well, a cowboy, cowboy probably puts a, a lasso around them and begins to work with that animal. Puts them in a pen and Maybe puts a bridle on them and runs them around with the bridle for a while. And then maybe the next day or two, they, they come out and they just put a saddle blanket on them. And, and little by little, and then maybe they would just set the saddle and not cinch it up. And they'll, they'll let them go around. And, and then they'll put the saddle on with the bridle and cinch it up. And, and they'll work them like that. And then finally, they'll, they'll put a rider on. And little by little... Uh, that rider is going to struggle to stay on. And, and little by little, that animal is finally going to yield its will to the will of that rider. This would have been a spirited young animal that wanted anything but to have a grown man sit on it. Right? But do you know what? When God appoints you for a purpose... He equips you for that. And that animal submitted his will to the will of God. Can I ask you a question without insulting your intelligence? Are we as smart as the foal of an ass? That when God calls us for His appointed purpose, we'll be submitted to His will? That, will, that little donkey surrendered its will to God. Against every conventional thought or wisdom. And what I'm saying to you is that God is calling us too. We see in the fulfillment of this prophecy that God is always right and He always keeps His word. Zechariah said, 
that the king would come into Jerusalem on the foal of an ass, whereupon never a man sat. That had been foretold 500 years before Jesus came. And what God says, He does. You can mark it down. And God's word is always true. And we should always choose to yield our will to the one who's always right. Why is it that we're constantly fighting against God's will? We're always bucking it. We're always wanting to go our own way. The one time I rode a donkey that had never been ridden before, before I got on it, the cowboy said, you probably want to get a stick. I thought, so I can scratch my back? What? And he meant so that you could smack that horse whenever it's not following the commands that you give it. Right? And that donkey always wanted to go another way. Didn't want to follow the horses in front of it. It wanted to find another trail. And you know what? The trails that it wanted to go on had low limbs because it wanted to brush me off. Right? And you know what? Sometimes what we do in our spirit is we want to travel the path that leaves the Lord in the dirt because we have a better way. But this was consequential to the fulfillment of prophecy and so that those that were going to study the Scriptures with their understanding would understand that this was indeed the Messiah. And what happened in the middle of all this? The Bible tells us there that there were Pharisees amongst the multitude and they said to the Lord, Master, tell your disciples to be quiet. Tell them to stop saying you're the king. Tell them to stop saying, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, because that's reserved for the Messiah. Tell them to stop. Right? Now there were those that stood around Mary of Bethany and said, don't do that. Stop doing that. That's a waste. And they criticized her for it. And now here's people praising the Lord, and there was people in the midst saying, don't do that. God forbid that any of us would ever be the one to throw zeal, uh, throw cold water on someone's zeal for the Lord. Amen? If God tickles you in, in, a, in a way that makes you want to just say amen right out loud in church, just say on. Just go ahead on, all right? I'll be the last one to say, don't do that. Stop saying that, right? If someone just gets so excited about the things of the Lord that they, they say, hallelujah, then you know what? Say hallelujah. Okay, I'm glad both of you agree and are happy to say hallelujah. You know, some people are like, what? So someone, someone saying something in church? We get nervous about it? it, it you know, folks, listen. Go to a football game sometime and have your team come back from behind and win a game and then look around you and think everybody's being idiotic because they're making all this noise. This is a sacred moment. They made the playoffs, right? We need to hallow this. Folks, come on. <laughs> you know, I, I pastored in the inner city for a long time. It was in the hood. I'm, I'm telling you, it was in the hood. And uh, Brother Randy, I had a, had a row of African-American ladies, and th there were several rows of them. They always sat over on the piano side in one section. It wasn't segregation. 
nothing. But they, they all sat together. And, they, and, and here's what they did. Uh, Pat, they all wore hats to church. You remember back in the day, that's what they did. They wore hats. And uh, most of them would wear sweaters to church. And you know what they would have in the sleeve of their sweater? They would have a hanky tucked up in the sleeve of their sweater. Okay? And so, man, I'd, I'd get to preaching. I'd start walking the pews. And I mean, I'm standing up and I'm screaming and shouting and spitting, you know. And, and you know what? I'd see one of them pull a hanky out, you know. They'd pull that hanky out. And, uh, and, and, and they'd just go like this with that hanky. And pretty soon there'd be three or four of them with their hankies up like that. And then you know what? They'd say, well, well. And they'd start talking to me. And they'd say, you say that now. You say that, preacher. That's right. That's right. You say that. Amen. You preach that. Amen. And man, that'd be whole amen section right there. And then you know what? They, they get the hanky out, man, and start doing this. And before you know it, man, there'd be all these people just, and I'm thinking, is there a bunch of flies flying around over there? And, and man, they were just praising the Lord. Every once in a while, you'd have a little old lady across the road like looking at them like, What's going on over here? You know, did I come into a holy roller church or, or what? And you know, it just was like saying sick him to a dog for me. I was glad that there was somebody that was getting excited about the things of the Lord. Amen? Amen. You, you might get as excited that you want to, so excited you just want to say amen even with a mask on. And here are people who say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And the Bible records for us that there were those among the multitude, Pharisees, that said, Master, rebuke them. I hope this is one place that you never feel a sense of rebuke because you just haul off and bless the Lord. Amen? <laughs> and if you want to start waving your hanky, just go ahead. Just don't hit anybody in the head with it. Make sure it's not full of plinkers. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I need to be careful offering my handkerchief to a lady. Make sure there's nothing, nothing deposited in it. You know what I'm saying? But uh, are you still with me? Say amen. Amen. I want you to notice with me, thirdly, the presentation. The Lord Jesus was presented... To the people of Israel as the king of the Jews. And it was clear at that moment that the multitude was desiring an earthly king. They wanted an earthly king. They weren't looking for someone to save his people from their sins. They were just looking for someone to put down the Roman despot and take away their taxation. Someone to, if there was a famine in the land, to turn the water into wine to turn the rocks to bread, right? To multiply the loaves and the fish so that everybody had plenty to eat. They wanted him to be that benevolent king that would just give them everything that they felt like they wanted. Does that sound like a culture that you've heard about ever? Kind of sounds a lot like now, right? We want the government to be the Almighty. And really, I'm going to tell you something. We're seeing a government that's trying to supplant God in our lives. They want to become your everything. We're going to meet all your needs, right? Oh, you're homeless and you, and you have a drug addiction? Here, we're going to give... You live in San Francisco? We're going to give you $1,000 a month, all right, just to help you out. And we're going to give you free, clean needles and a place to shoot up and sleep it off. 
with clean sheets. You, you know, folks, I mean, I mean we're, we're nuts. Our, our country's lost its way. Do you know that? I mean, what kind of country do we have when we're, governments are paying for inmates in prison to get gender reassignment surgery? I, I'm just, I, I, I got nothing for that. You know, I'm like, how stupid can we be? You know, oh, you killed somebody? Okay, we're going to send you to death row. Oh, you're on your 30th appeal and you feel like you're a woman now? Okay, we'll pay for that surgery. Come on, man. I, I, I learned that from somebody. Come on, man. I'm losing my 3,000 words, Brother Mark. <laughs> watching too many press conferences. Some of you got that. Say amen, all right? I, I just want to know you're awake, okay? But look, these Jews sought Jesus for the miracles that He did, not because they wanted Him to be their Savior and Lord. They hailed Him as the Messiah and God, but that was revealed later on it was revealed later on that that's not what they really wanted because it would just be five days later when those very same people that were saying, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, and now they were saying, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Five days later, crucify him. You see how fickle people are? There were those that were disciples of Jesus. Lord, we'll, we'll die for you. We'll go to prison for you. And then, you know what? A lady lavishes love on Jesus. And they, went, they want to be critical of it. How fickle is that? And then you see, um, look, a, a, a prophecy fulfilled. And, 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 uh, and there were those that were questioning the disciples that came for the cult. What do you want with that? What are you, do, what are you guys doing over there? You know? Don't mess with that horse. What are you doing? There are people that would soon say, crucify him, that now said, and thrown him. And the Pharisees in the midst were totally opposed to what the multitude was doing. Years ago, I went to work for a national nonprofit organization. It was designed to help people uh, the minority groups that were primarily underserved in the inner cities of the country. We had, we had offices in Washington, D.C., in Philadelphia, in Atlanta, in Chicago, in Detroit, uh, one in Phoenix. We had a number in California, one in San Francisco, two in Los Angeles. And uh, it was given over to helping the underserved people who were repressed economically and to help them uh, to clean up their credit, to be able to establish, to get off check systems and establish checking accounts and savings accounts, to leverage mortgage, to be able to open businesses, to become stakeholders in their community. It was a great, great mission, helping a lot of people. And so at, at that point in my life, I, I was given the opportunity to be a candidate for that position. I went through the process and, and they asked me to, to, to do the job. So I became the president of the company, serving under our chairman and founder. And uh, over time, I, I realized that this company was in real financial hardship, even though they were supported by all the Fortune 500 companies 
uh, that you could name, and, and they had money coming in. They were spending it fast, and they were bringing it in, and they had 10 lawsuits that I was having to oversee and manage of people that we owed money to and hadn't paid, and people had sued us for money, you know, and I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, we, we've got to trim the sales just a little bit here. We don't have to give up on our mission, but there's some things that we're doing that we need to change, you, you know, and I begin to kind of talk like that a little bit, and people didn't appreciate it. Because they like, you know, all the executives, they like to stay in the Pilgrim Hotel in Washington, D.C. for $500 a night. They didn't want me saying that you should stay in, in you know, the Hampton Inn for, you know, 100 They want to stay in the Pilgrim Hotel for 500 you know. And uh, they, they, they wanted to eat, you know, at Ruth's Chris when I said, you know, it's okay if sometimes you, you eat at Denny's. You know, we're a charity. We're trying to help others, and we're, we're living like, you know, we're knee-deep in clover, and we've got more money than we know what to do with, and we've got 10 lawsuits. We can't do that. Well, you know, it put me at variance with a lot of people in that company because I took a ministry per perspective into the job, and I said, I want to I have the mind of Christ in helping those that are, that are poor, disenfranchised, and repressed, and, and I saw it as an opportunity to share the gospel. And when I saw that the gospel was being mocked and biblical principles were being flouted, Things reached critical mass. I had a meeting and they said, we need you to be a shrewd businessman and quit saying things that under, undermine the philosophy of our chairman. Well, it was a short period of time. We had to have a meeting in the minds. Linda remembers this. But you know, they wanted me to be a shrewd businessman to help them build their brand and their business on the backs of small businesses. And I didn't care for that at all. I wanted to have the mind of Christ. I wanted to have an honorable reputation. I wanted to do things uprightly. We didn't have the money. I didn't want to spend it. Do you know what I'm saying? That put us at loggerheads. And I realized that what they wanted me to be and what I felt God was calling me to be were two different things. And so they sat down with me and said, we're kind of at an impasse here. And I said, I ought to obey God rather than man. So, you know, I've not done anything wrong here except try to help your company. And if you feel like somebody else can do it better, then, you know, that's fine with me. You know, my soul and my principles are not for sale for a six-figure salary. You know? I enjoyed having a guy in a tuxedo park my car in the parking lot every day and come up and shine my shoes and deliver lunch to my to my office and I, I mean that was fun. I was having the corner office on the 30th floor looking down on Staples Center and you know, that that was all nice but you know what it wasn't worth it. And the fact is at that point everything changed. I wasn't the benevolent reverend that came there to help them. I, I was now the guy on the way out. And I realized that all their expressions of love and support were all predicated on me being the man that they wanted me to be. And what they wanted me to be was not at all what God wanted me to be. And so everything changed. Let me tell you something. These people wanted Jesus to be their conqueror over Rome 
their enabler for every physical need, and their entertainment. Jesus said, I came to save you from your sin, not from the Romans. I came to give you the bread of life, not necessarily stone to bread. You see, when they saw that, they turned so fickle. Understand this. Lastly, we notice the purpose. Jesus got into Jerusalem, and you know what the Bible tells us there in verse number 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Why? He loved them. The real purpose of his entry was not to establish an earthly kingdom. Because as we look back over the life of Jesus in his three and a half year ministry, we discover that often, especially during the early days of his ministry, he would perform miracles upon people and he would say, see that thou tell no man. Present thyself to the priest and tell no man. Why? Because he realized that had he gathered the acclaim that they would have inevitably inevitably heaped upon him, they would have wanted him immediately to become their king. And that was not the reason why he had come at all. At all. Brother Lyle, you can turn that AC off. I, I see some folks clutching themselves. and uh, But here's the reason. Listen. It was to set in motion the events that would result in Jesus' arrest and death on the cross. So... What was the triumphal entry? Well, it was a fulfillment of prophecy. It was a true presentation of who Jesus was and is. But in reality, Jesus knew that the triumphal entry would be the straw, proverbially, that would break the camel's back for the rulers of the Jews. They said, we're done talking about killing this man. We're going to do it. Because there's nothing in the world that we can do other than to kill him. That's what, that's what happened. And you know what? Jesus knew what exactly would be required, not only to fulfill all prophecy, but to set in motion that would drive a week that we call the Passion Week, that started with the triumphal entry, that would lead him to Golgotha. But praise God, an empty tomb. He did it because He loves us. He walked that road knowing what would befall Him and in just a few short days would pray, Father, if it be Thy will, let this cup pass from Thee. Nevertheless, not my will, but Thy will be done. And Judas, who walked with Him for three and a half years, would soon betray Him. Peter, who vowed his undying allegiance, would soon deny him. The multitudes that had praised him and walked with him would turn their backs upon him. The religious leaders that flirted with him and took lunch with him would now conspire to murder him. And Jesus would go on anyway, knowing it all. 
He knew it all. If it were any of us, we might look around and say, okay, the rulers are the Jews, I get it, but Peter? Peter? Okay, the fickle masses, I, I, I understand that, but Judas? The Lord would show him kindness every step of the way during this next week. Even while Judas was bargaining with the rulers of the Jews to sell Jesus into their custody for the price of a common slave. 30 pieces of silver would have bought you any slave on the slave market any day of the week except the Sabbath. And that's how much he got for Jesus. Judas, you walked with me three and a half years. I helped Nicodemus. And look what all these Pharisees are doing. Joseph of Arimathea is, is a part of that group. He would, he would help me. I, 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 God knew. God forbid that the one we rejoice in and sing praises to in church, we might deny through our silence when the time comes to speak. I don't know about you. I don't want to be numbered among the fickle that says one thing about the Lord today and does another thing tomorrow. That says, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord today and crucify him tomorrow. But that's what happened. No matter how we look at this, we know that Jesus was triumphant. The king that would come in on a foal of an ass in Jewish culture was a man of peace who had conquered his opposing enemies and would now come in on that ass as a man of peace, elevated as the monarch, ruler, and king, the Lord. And that is indeed what Jesus is, whether they acknowledge him that or not. And the ultimate victory would be proven seven days when on the next Sunday the stone would be rolled away. And some of those fickle ones would finally believe. God forbid that we would be like those who would today Say how much we love Him. Only to tomorrow be those that would walk away. Let me say this to you and I'm done. You know what I've discovered? Over the last year, there are a lot of folks that turned away. There are people that came to church on a regular basis who they go to Denny's and eat. They go to Safeway and shop. They go to Walmart and shop. They wander around the mall. They eat in the food park. They go to work. They go to a doctor's office. They pump gas. 
but they won't come to church. You know what that is? Hypocrisy in the extreme. If you eat out, if you pump gas, if you go to the doctor or the dentist or the bank, and you're too scared to come to church, you have a God problem, not a health problem. And a year ago, there were people that would have said, nothing is going to move me out of my church. Nothing is going to move me away from my God. Where are they today? What happened? We didn't move. The same spot we've been for 63 years. I didn't change. I'm preaching the same message that I've preached for 18 years here. What changed? God didn't die. His purpose and His plan hasn't changed. He's not fickle. There's no shadow of turning with God. The fact is that we can be filled with the warm fuzzies on a Palm Sunday and sing the songs of Easter and we can think, my, isn't it wonderful? And we could rehearse the historical narrative of a grand event in the life of Jesus and go home none the better, no more committed because we have another star on the chart and we've heard the message again, so here we go. I don't want us to just have Easter because that's what Christians are supposed to do on the first Sunday in April. I want God to change me so that I don't have to stand up and declare it, God knows. And and, and look, that I'm not singing His praises today and a year from now, I'm flagging in my commitments waning in my fervor for Jesus. It revealed the hearts of men. What it took for many was a pandemic. That by and large, yeah, it was inconvenient. But they managed to take nourishment, keep a roof over the head. Most are still working and have an income. Though we hear the stories of many that have been affected adversely and many have gone to be with the Lord, but in the economy of God, when when that person was born, God knew precisely the day that they would depart this life into heaven and and the vehicle that would take them there. For some, it's, it's another C word, it's cancer. For some, it's another C word, it's COVID. But God said, I've already picked out the vehicle that's going to get them there. And the important thing is not the vehicle that took them there, it's the fact that they made it. And so what I'm saying is, we have a triumphant king. The question is not, is he the king? The question today is, will you be his loyal subject? Tomorrow, as you say you are today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the truth that it contains and the convicting power that comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that as we consider this season of time and all that we have heard, that 
God, you would help us to deepen the level of our devotion and that, Lord, we would not be haphazard and on again, off again. May we every day take up our cross and follow you. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment and perhaps there's someone seated in this room that would say, Pastor Mark, I've been a little fickle. I've been kind of in and out, on again, off again, up one day, down the next. One foot in church and one in the world. And God is dealing with my heart. I don't want to be the one that says, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord today and tomorrow say, Crucify him. I want to be like that donkey that submitted his will and spirit to the purpose and plan of God. Perhaps God is dealing with you and you would say, as a child of the King, I want to serve Him loyally, faithfully until He calls me home. If that's a desire of your heart today, I wonder if you just slip your hand up. Say, that's my testimony and my prayer. Pray for me, Pastor. God bless you. Many, many hands. Many hands today. Maybe there are those that would say, when I'm alone with God, that's what I want, but I'm finding I'm struggling in that area. I'm not, not really as faithful and as loyal as I know I need to be to God. Pray for me, Pastor. Here's my hand. Is there one like that? God bless you. God bless you. And then perhaps there's someone in the room that would say, Pastor Mark, I do not even know that if I died right now that I would go to heaven to be with the Lord, and I'm concerned about it. Not sure that if I died right now I would go to heaven. Not sure my sins are forgiven. And I'm concerned about that. And you would say, Pastor Mark, don't embarrass me, but please remember me also in prayer. Here's my hand. Would you slip it up? Just up and write that down. I'll see where you're seated and remember you in prayer. Pray for me. I'd like to know that when I die, that I'll spend forever in heaven with God. I'm concerned about it. Pray for me too. Here's my hand. Just put it up and write that down. In just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. Whether you've lifted your hand or not, God is dealing with you about any need. You respond as He would indicate to you by His Spirit. Maybe He wants you to come and kneel and, and just pray. Say, God, I, I don't want to be on again, off again, up and down, in and out. One foot in the world and one in the church. God, I want to be entirely Yours. I don't want to say praise You today and curse You tomorrow. I want to be loyally faithful unto the end. Maybe there's someone that's not saved. If that's you, I'm going to be positioned here in the front. Just come right down to me. I'll have a counselor with a mask show you in a few moments from the Bible how you can be sure of heaven. Be the greatest decision that you've ever made. Lord God, I pray you bless these few moments together. May you move and work in hearts. May you have your will in us, we pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I invite you to stand if you're able. Would you stand to your feet if you're able? Brother Lyle is going to begin singing a song of invitation. If he, as he does, God is speaking to your heart. We invite you to come. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me.
as we sing the next verse, what about you? Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to see whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Our Father, we thank Thee that You have moved in the midst, and Lord, we pray that long after the service is over, You would continue speaking to hearts, ministering the Word by Thy Spirit. Lord, help us not to lose the truth on lunch. Lord, help us to think about it. Hold on to it. Lord, for those that perhaps don't have the assurance of salvation, help them to seek someone out before they leave this place today. And may you be glorified in your church. In these coming days, we pray. In the lovely name of Jesus, amen. <laughs>